Welcome to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Kim is a psychotherapist and executive director of ICU Talks, a mental health speaking ministry. This is a podcast about how to flip your lid and learning how to reconnect to who you really are. All right, everybody, I've got somebody who, I guess you could say she's my mini-me because she's about four feet tall and she and I have similar past, but she's got a lot of things about her life that are different and outstanding. And so today I am joined by my friend Alana Bruton, and she is amazing. She's a licensed clinical addiction specialist. She's a registered yoga instructor and a certified heart math trainer. She has over 20 years of experience working in the addictions field. She spent 12 years working for Carolina's Healthcare alongside Dr. George Rad. I was there first, let y'all know I worked beside Dr. Rad before she did, in their medical detox program and then transitioned to the intensive outpatient program, which, by the way, y'all, I'm the one that co-founded that, just to let you know. Anyway, back to Alana. Alana takes a holistic approach when working with clients, combining the mind, body, and spirit in counseling. She specializes in working with addiction and trauma. Top of that, Alana facilitates a men's group working on gender-specific issues, trauma, and 12-step recovery issues. She works with families of chemically dependent individuals to facilitate interventions. Lastly, Alana provides clinical supervision for those seeking their certification in substance abuse counseling. And that amazing woman I just described is right here today joining me for Flip Your Lid. Hey, Alana. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you're here. We do, we do have a similar path. Like I, I think I left detox, not as a patient, which did happen in my life, but I think I left as an employee and, and you came in. I think so. I think I that's how it went working down. with you. I yeah. started as a volunteer. Right. Right. Because they wouldn't hire you. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. But we definitely have both have a love for recovery and have, and have different reasons for our love of recovery. So okay. I just want to start there and let's just go into this. So, you know, the first question I and our listeners would love to know what happened in your life. They flipped your lid, and what measures have you taken to reconnect who God says you are? Oh, well, thank you. Um, So what flipped my lid, I believe, was my childhood. Um, I was adopted. Um, I was in a legal adoption, which I found out years later. Mm -hmm. Uh, My mother struggled with mental illness and... um, Growing up in that home um, was challenging. I was, goodness, removed from the home, I believe, when I was two, uh, Mm. because due to uh, things that were going on with her illness, she thought that she was going to harm me. Mm -hmm. I was uh, removed from the home and um, brought in with my father and my aunt. And my aunt had lost a child uh, and it just transitioned that I was told that my aunt was my mother, mm, wow. but my mother still had visitation uh, with me. So that was kind of confusing <laughs> um, for me calling her Bonnie and she's, no, I'm your mother. Um, <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. So um, growing up in that environment, but I remember from a very young age, uh, growing up in a Catholic home as well. Um, that story of all the children coming to Jesus 
And I remember a big connection um, to Jesus from when I was a very young child. And even though my childhood did not make a whole lot of sense to me, that connection with Jesus made perfect. Wow, that's beautiful. Sense. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, Alana, I know there's a lot in that to unpack, but you know, you and I have been friends for a long time, and I have this slight memory of how your mom decided to have to have you. Is there not some story with a psychiatrist talking to your mom? Correct. So that was back when I think they didn't have a whole, whole lot of knowledge what mental illness was. Right. Um, I know my grandmother, her mother, was part of that whole deinstitutionalization. She actually passed on the streets of New York wow. after that happened. But my mother, when she was struggling with mental illness at that time was going to a psychiatrist um, for thoughts of harming herself. And the psychiatrist shared with um, my mother and my grandfather who was very concerned about her well-being. She just needs a child to love. Wow. If she could just have a child, she'd be okay. And my grandfather just, I guess, thinking whatever could save my child and having a good amount of wealth, thought I'm going to get my daughter a child. So your job was to make her want to live. Like that's how, that's the start. That's the burden placed on you from the beginning. Exactly. How, how do you take all of this in this level of trauma and all right, and I'm just going to jump ahead a little bit because you're in this field. You have an amazing reputation. I send people to you. I don't send people just to anybody. Like your your heart's in it. You're spiritually aligned. Yeah, how do you not struggle with codependency? How do you not, when you start with that burden being told, you're responsible to keep someone alive. You're responsible for their how they feel, right? And then you go to an aunt, and then there's a responsibility, right? And, and all that, like... I just don't, help me understand how you're not just stripping of codependency. <laughs> I think I probably was for a while and then went through a lot of therapy. Lots of therapy for that, people. Lots. Wow. <laughs> and I still have to check myself at yeah. times for setting appropriate boundaries, but I think I was very codependent uh -huh. for a long, long time. But I think that just continued relationship with God and Jesus really helped me survive all of that. Yeah. How did you, like, how did you do in school? Like, are you, like, when you're at school, are you able to focus? Can you, are you having behavioral, what, what they would call behavioral issues, right? Which we know would come from trauma. But, like, mm -hmm. what's, what's happened to you as a little girl carrying the weight of all this? Um, so I had learning disabilities. I remember going to special classes. Um, I remember being bullied uh, to a certain extent. Um, and I moved around a lot. So I think that was the other piece is that sometimes people didn't really get a chance to know me because I moved so much. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think as a child, I really struggled. A lot of people did not have a whole lot of belief in if I could be successful in the mm -hmm. future, you know, yeah. and that included my own family. Um, 
but yes, I, I, I really struggled, but I remember when, um, looking at colleges, I thought, where is the furthest that this woman will try to come see me? Because your mom stayed, Bonnie, stayed in your life. Yes. Right? So at some point you had to reconcile that your aunt was your aunt. Correct. Right? And so you're trying to get away from Bonnie, your biological mother, but also with a learning disability and trying to figure out what college to go to and how to survive. Exactly. That's a lot of resiliency. Thank you. Thank what was you. it like to be around your mom, especially as you got a little more teenager age? Like, how did you comprehend her illness? A lot of times I really thought it was my fault. You know, growing up in a Catholic home, there was a lot of guilt and shame. Mm. I remember the statue of Mother Mary being placed in my room, and I felt like she was watching me <laughs> at all times. Right. Um and gosh, it was complicated because I believe for my family, it was almost like poor Alana, but thank God for Alana that we don't have to deal with her. It, right. it was just not spoken about. It was almost like does not, anyone not see what's going on. So for mm-hmm. a while, I just thought, well, I need to be a better daughter and I need to be around her all the time and include her. And a lot of times that involved me not going to see my friends or if I was out with my friends, always worried, is she going to be upset because I'm out for an extended period of time. I found my out was um, getting involved in kick line, the color guard and high stepping. That was something that she could wrap her head around that it's okay for Alana to be away from me. Um, But yeah, holidays, she did not really want me going to anyone else's house. And um, she wanted a lot of time with me. So your mom was your stalker? Mm-hmm. Wow. And did someone try to protect you from that? Was there anybody advocating for you? My aunt was a big advocate, but she could only do so much. Um, so now as I get older, people are becoming more comfortable with sharing the stories. But my cousin recently shared um, a story about, you know, I remember several dinners with the police coming to our home because mm. um, my mother apparently still had visitation rights. So the police would come come to my aunt's home and have my mom come in. And she said we would have family dinner, like everything was okay. And it was so weird. And is someone explaining all this to you as you go through, or is this just a matter of normalcy? It's just a matter of normalcy, you know, when you have nothing to compare it to. Right. Right. Sure. How, as you've grown up, because this is, this is so much of an unresolved attachment, right? It's, you have that much fear of your own mother and you don't know like if you're allowed to go somewhere, you have to be involved in extracurricular activity that she approves of that allows her to regulate her mental illness. Like when all that happens, like there's no way you have anywhere close to secure attachment. It's got to be the exact opposite, unresolved. So, but I know you have successful, beautiful relationships today. And can you help our audience kind of understand how the work you had to do to get to that? Yes. 
So I went, I think as young as I could remember, I, I had been in, in therapy and some therapy was wonderful and some therapy was not so wonderful. Right. Um, you know, some therapists were treating me like I was the, the problem mm. child. Um, and if I could just do better or be a better daughter, then things would be uh, resolved. I just, there's some things, Kim, I think that are unexplainable. And I think God did a lot for me um, to secure. I knew that re- relationship was stable from a very young age. And was I in unhealthy relationships as a teenager and as a young adult? Yes. Um, getting into relationships with people I felt were broken and that I could help. Oh, yeah, sure. Right? I mean, that's been your burden from day one is you get to help people. So yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yes. And then I finally met my husband in college. That was such a caretaker and um, was so loving and understanding and just unconditional love, which I never knew. There were so many conditions on receiving love from especially my mother And it was just unconditional from the very beginning. But I don't think without that relationship with um, Jesus that I would ever know how to allow that to come into my life. Yeah, that's that's an absolute beautiful thing. Because you're right, like all of us as children have conditions placed on us, like parents, teachers, coaches, for their own convenience and comfort, they want you to be who you want them, who they want you to be. But this is crazy conditions being placed on you and to actually meet a man who can help unpack that and teach you. It's about, it's about you. It's not about the conditions. It's about mm-hmm. love and character. It's not about what you can do for him necessarily. Exactly. Yeah. At um, what point in your marriage or priority of marriage did your husband meet your mom? Like, how do you, how do you, on what date do you talk about your stalker slash mother? <laughs> so they met at my graduation from the Army ROTC, right? Mm-hmm. So that right. was another way of escaping. Yeah, Get absolutely. me in the Army. Right. Um, and I remember that night, that evening before graduation, your parents, even though I was an adult at the time, had to find you out if you were going to stay with someone else before graduation. And she refused to do it so I could spend time with, at, at that point, my boyfriend. Right. And um forgive me army but i figured out a way to get somebody to forge her name of course you had to (laughs) and i snuck out um but they met at my um army rotc graduation it was Mm. him one of my close friends at the time um my mom and my grandparents oh wow because like you meet him and like you're experiencing like a new like a true normalcy like you found somebody you could co-regulate with, you could connect with, and then you can't even get to him because the person who causes you not to connect, to stay disconnected, won't sign a piece of paper. Exactly. Right. And I bet you were just craving him so much. You're right. I yeah. was. Yeah. I, I was. Bet. I bet. Well, are you surprised that you actually gravitated towards someone healthy? 
I am. I mean, doing the work that I do now and working with clients throughout the years and seeing how people are impacted by that. Yes. Um, I'm very surprised, but yet I'm, I'm very grateful that we have created, we've broken that mm-hmm. cycle, mm-hmm. right? That my family knows a healthy relationship. Well, hopefully, right. <laughs> and their therapists right. from years to come, that they'll yeah. be able to share that they had a healthy relationship with their parents and, mm-hmm. and their mother. But that has taken a, a lot of work on, mm-hmm. on my half and us working together as a couple and working together as a family. Yeah. What, what's been the biggest challenge as a wife because of your background and what's been the biggest challenge as a mom because of your childhood background? Those are good questions. I think as a, a wife or when we were first dating is just understanding that somebody could love you unconditionally and you don't have to... Um, a lot of ways that my mother showed love was purchasing things and buying things for me or throwing money at me. Um, and just the understanding that that's not what, <laughs> what love mm-hmm. is. So that mm-hmm. was the biggest challenge. My husband's probably more of a gift giver than I am now. But I, I think probably when we first started dating, I thought that's how love was. Um, as a parent, I think it's finding that balance. Um, you know, sometimes I'm wondering, gosh, have I been too easy on them because my mother was so hard. So finding that that balance for them mm. to um, know how to explain it um just having a balance of lots of love but knowing that sometimes in life there's consequences Mm -hmm. to to your actions um but yes I think for finding balance that would probably yeah I mean like that you're you're wanting to speak into their lives and correct them give them corrective behavior and actions without it being the abusive category that you came from Exactly. Yeah, and what that looks like, and what's that? How, how do you do that without any role model in a healthy way? You can't just do the opposite. A lot of us try that, right? Either we do the exact same thing our parents did, or we do the exact opposite, and neither will get you where you want to go. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, a lot and of work. I think having the role model of my my nana and grandpa. So my nana and grandpa came over um, from Italy and met here, and they were such a loving couple and my Nana really um, gave me uh, a good model of what unconditional love was oh, as well. Cool. Yeah. With you coming from such a, a background of trauma and again you being so resilient, how do you decide, not what they tell us in school, but how do you decide how much self-disclosure, when to speak this into a session as a, as a therapist and as a group therapist? How, how, what are your determining factors about that? I think when it would benefit the the client, I I don't do a whole lot of self-disclosure, but only I I feel when it would benefit from the client um, or I think deep down, some of them just know um, Mm -hmm. that being through all this, uh, 
the ability to, to have that connection and to just know the importance of, I don't need to fix it. I just mm-hmm. need to hear it mm-hmm. and witness it mm-hmm. and validate it and how important that is. Yeah. Those are the powerful words. That it's not to fix it because the minute you try to fix someone else's stuff, you're making it about you, not letting it be about their process. And so for you to come from that and be told that's normal and now to sit with somebody and let it be about them and that you're validating it and affirming it, but you're not living it for them or fixing it for them. Like that's powerful. Yeah. Yeah, And I know it may sound easy to do, but it's not. No. Especially not with your background. There's no way that that's easy whatsoever. What do you love the best about being in private practice? Oh, there's so many things, um, you know, when a lot of people hear that I work with addictions, they're like, oh, that must be so sad. But I, <laughs> I find it so rewarding. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy the people who come in really angry and rah, 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 right, because right, um, yeah. the shift in them is just mm. so incredible. So I think seeing that shift, um, people trusting me enough to sharing all to, to be able to share that trauma and, and pain with me um, working, you know, one-on-one with people as far as relapse prevention, but in the DWI world, even yeah. though people wouldn't think that's fun. I, I really enjoy that um, providing people with um, education and knowledge to make different decisions moving mm-hmm. forward. Um, but I love everything about it. Yeah. Can you elaborate on the teaching DUI class? Because a lot of people who teach a class don't put the time and effort into it that you do. They don't put the emphasis, the analogies, all the things that you do for people. Because people walk into a DUI class because they got busted, not because they're seeking change always. Like that's, it, you have to have a whole lot of love for that population and for yourself to be able to do that. So can you speak into that? Yeah. So what I wanted to create in my private practice is I think there's a lot of guilt and shame that comes along with receiving a DWI. Um, but I think it's also brave because there's still people out there that are driving around and are, are not um, taking these classes or getting their assessments. Um so I just want to create a place where people feel safe, but they could also learn. What I love about the structure of some of the classes is that it gives them a lot of the information um, to know that this is truly a disease, that mm. um, you're not a terrible person, um, right? I, like I tell them, I, no one got in that car that evening, like, I'm going to get a DWI tonight, oh, right? right. Um, right. But just being able to, some people have made a poor choice and doesn't necessarily mean that they have a substance use disorder. So giving people um, like that the information that they need to make different choices moving forward, but also Mm -hmm. providing the resources to people that, okay, maybe I do have an issue with this and what can I do moving forward as far as Mm -hmm. meetings or concerns or counseling resources um, that the feedback has been tremendous about how much they've learned. Yeah. And and that's what I love. I mean, think about it. It's like somebody walks in as a 13 year old and they leave, 
you know, as a 40-year-old, right? They, they leave their age, they leave, right? Because I, I, just, I just know how I walked into classes. I know my attitude, mm-hmm. right? In that um, because you treat them in a godly way, no matter what their beliefs are, like, there's a emotional progression that happens for them because you don't, you're not shaming them. And I think it's a beautiful thing. So, you know, I specialize in addiction because I'm a recovered alcoholic, and then a lot of us in this field are in recovery and have a certain slant, a way we look at things because of our own experiences. And that's probably how you and I know each other from Mercy Detox and for Mercy Horizons IOP, et cetera. But you're, you don't have that story. You don't have my story. And yet you have a love for this field. How did we get there? How did, we, how did that happen? Yes. Um, so my mother, after getting custody back, um, after going through numerous court dates and my father getting remarried and kind of saying, all right, you can have a lot of back. Oh, how nice. It's, um, transitioning into um, an alcoholic home. Oh. <laughs> um, so my stepfather um, was an alcoholic. Mm. But what I remember is that when he was sober, he was such an amazing man and also mm. somebody who mm. taught me what unconditional love was. And I just remember like this has to be a disease. Right. Mm. That there is no way that he wants to be this evil person that he becomes when he's Mm -hmm. been drinking. I mean, I remember him calling me a bitch and kicking my mom Mm. down the stairs. And but then having these moments when he was sober and it was another God moment that Mm. um, I was a young mother. I was working at. gosh, it was called Clark American. People were ordering checks. And I thought, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. God, give me a sign. And I remember hearing this voice in my head of calling, um, gosh, a volunteer service. And they said, and I called that day, it was the United Way. And they said, the only positions that we have right now um, were like a couple of child therapy places and then detox. And I really? said, sign me up. That is phenomenal. That is amazing. Yeah. Cause really it is a, it is a calling because it's really okay that not everybody wants to be in this field. No one, not, not everybody's supposed to be in hospice, much less. All right. That's just very specialized. And so for you to find a volunteer position in detox and to absorb it so well, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but also just the conflict, the internal conflict of seeing your, your stepdad as who he is, but then also he's a monster who's kicking your mom down the stairs, and you witness that. Mm-hmm. Like that changes brain chemistry. It changes autonomic nervous system. It changes everything. And so it's just so much to go through. And so as being in this field, is that part of your healing process with that, of seeing people get better? It helps oh, yeah. with add to your healing oh yeah yeah and I just I think it's it's beautiful to to witness and I saw the progression of his disease so he wound up um passing of cirrhosis of the liver and I remember um some of his last days of going 
you know, because some of my clients will share, I can't imagine just not eating and drinking, you know, and I witnessed that of when I, the, his last days going to his home and all that was in the pantry was Budweiser. There's nothing mm-hmm. in the fridge anymore. Mm-hmm. There's nothing on the, the shelves. Um, so seeing the progression of him being a successful business owner mm-hmm. to getting this disease of cirrhosis of the liver, lo- losing his leg on Christmas Eve due to not wow. opening the ladder all the way and it crushing on his leg. And then later <laughs> meeting my um, birth father that's been in recovery for 30 years. So okay. it's kind of come right. full circle. All right, let's hit a pause <laughs> button on that. Because recently... You sought out your birth father, correct, correct. and traveled, put effort into being Alana, being who you are. You put a lot of effort into this. Can you share about this meeting your father in recovery and how that, what that was like for you, how it played out? Because I'm so curious about that. Yeah, so um, from a very young age, I remember being told I was adopted, and I did have the opportunity to meet my birth mother when I was 16. And I was always told that they were very um, young and he did not think that I was his. And she went to New York to give me up for adoption and that he never wanted to meet me. Mm. And I just always felt on my heart, give him the opportunity to share his story. But I didn't know how to connect with him. Um and gosh, I think it was over a year ago now, he came up on my Facebook feed as oh. people you may know. <laughs> I'm like, really, God? <laughs> well, you may know him. You may, have, you just might. That's accurate. Way to go, Facebook. <laughs> so I reached out wow. and I said, hi, my name is Alana. I believe I may be your daughter and shared a little bit about what I had heard. Heard, and I said, mm-hmm. but I'd like to give you the opportunity to share your story. Wow, what a beautiful Mom. way of putting it. Oh, That's a beautiful you. way of saying it to him. That's great. So months went by and I didn't hear anything. And then one day up on my messenger, something popped up and he said, sure, give me a call. And um, then I gave him a call and he was able to share his story. So during the interim... How tethered are you to Facebook Messenger looking to see if he's responding or are you pretty sent it, hands off, prayed about it? Like how does, how'd you do that? In the beginning I was checking it. Um, But then I kind of just, all right, I'm not going to hear anything back and let it go. And then sure enough. And what's his story? um, That, my they were young they were married when they were young and they had my brother already and apparently they were going through um challenges she left for florida and then came back to iowa and um a couple months later she became pregnant and um i guess he had some issues with i don't know if she's mine or not and Came home one day, he shared, and she left a note that I'm going to give her up for adoption. I'm gone and never heard anything more. Wow. But he didn't pursue. He didn't try to figure out. I don't believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
And so you met him in person. Yes. And, and that was awkward. <laughs> <laughs> what a nice word. Awkward. <laughs> but it went it went it went well, but I don't know maybe if it was just too much for mm-hmm. him. Um, because the next day, um trying to get together after driving all the way from North Carolina to Iowa in the middle of nowhere. Um, I was really tired. And I said, can we just meet halfway? You know, he lived 40 minutes from the hotel I was staying uh, mm-hmm. and he shared he wasn't feeling well. And then it turned into, well, I think I may have COVID. Um, and I'm like, okay, well, you're going to get tested. No, I think it will be gone by this weekend. So then I thought, all right. We're going to so, just enjoy the rest of this time with my dog, yeah. and we're going to go hiking. <laughs> we're going to so make the best of it. Yeah, you knew you knew what that meant. You meant that yeah. you knew he couldn't he couldn't show back up for you. He made his decision, right. so you're not going to put any more effort into that. And so you just stayed in Iowa, correct, with your therapy service dog. Yes, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and had a good time. How, how do you deal with the? The disappointment of that or the sadness, anger, whatever was there, something had to be there. I know you accepted it, but it still can be some emotions. Oh, yeah. What'd you do with it? I was, gosh, I was hysterical that night. And I just mm-hmm. prayed and I talked to my husband, um, who encouraged me to reach back out. But at that point, I knew that. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I knew. Um, and I just thought, I'm not. I made this trip, gosh, I think it was 18 hours total, um, that I'm going to make the best of it. I did have the opportunity to see my brother for a little bit. Uh, so that was great. Um, but I just reached out to my support network. I'm very fortunate to have wonderful girlfriends Mm -hmm. and my husband and my children who've been very supportive, but yes, did I cry hysterically that evening? I did. That's real. I appreciate Mm -hmm. you saying that. That is so real because the anticipation, because it's human nature that you're going to go meet your father. There's been so much loss for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that his effort is minimal and yours is maximum. Yours is maximum. So, of course, you would, you got to keep, get that grief out. Yeah. 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 What, how did it go with your brother? Because this, like you, this was new learning you had a brother. Correct. Yeah. Well, I met him when I was 16. So it was a okay. reconnection for this us. This is a reconnect. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a good experience. Um, but it was just short. Um, but it was good. Oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> it's really, it's really more about your perception and your attitude, Alana. It's, it's how you handle it. It's bringing in your recovery, your relationship with the Lord. Because just one out of all these things in here would tank somebody. Justifiably would put someone in a mill institution. Like it is, it's a lot for you to carry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are your your tools? I know you're I think you're in the CrossFit. Yes. Right. I'm a crazy CrossFitter. You're a crazy <laughs> CrossFitter. I see you. How tall are you? I just need the audience to know how I tall you are. I am four eleven. I'm four eleven. Four eleven and throwing weights around and tires and men and all this stuff. And I just would love <laughs> you to take a second because part of you know, because like for recoveries for all of us, but it looks different ways. And so to tell people about CrossFit and other tools you have for you to stay in your own personal recovery. 
Oh, yeah. So I love um, anything fitness. Uh, I've been a Zumba instructor, um, anything, yoga, you Mm -hmm. name it. So that really is a healthy release for me. And now in CrossFit to lift things up, I'm like, all right, you don't want to meet me. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. (laughs) Um, And so that has been a wonderful outlet for me running. Uh, Mm -hmm. I did the New York City Marathon last year. You have to qualify for that. You don't get to just go run it. Oh, no. You you can donate some money. <laughs> okay. I didn't know I could buy my way in. <laughs> you could. Um, we raised money for cancer. Okay. So that's what I did. You that was marathon. my ticket in. Because you yeah. and I have run a race before. We ran a race, and it was a it was a really worthy cause. Yeah. And it was an impromptu race that we did. And we're close to the finish line. And here you come with your four foot eleven self. With this smile on your face, like it was nothing to pass me. Nothing. I think you tried to trip me. That was I did was try to trip up. you. We were, it was a run in the woods. <laughs> so I was going to act like it was a limb, but it was my foot. <laughs> but I missed until you beat me in that race. But I'm up for a rematch. Oh, I love it. I yeah, love it. Yeah. So you ran New York City Marathon. Huge deal. You're a runner. You're a crossfitter. Right, and using all that to like get rid of the weight of of all this mental illness that's been placed on you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love comedies, watching comedy. I love to laugh, which yeah. I think a lot of people who've been right. in pain and through trauma love to mm-hmm. just make people feel good and, and make them laugh. So that's on my Netflix uh playlist is right. just all comedies. Um but yes, that's been my uh, release spending time with my animals. I've started a, a farm over here since COVID. We have chickens and a parakeet and a dog and cat. Oh, that's amazing. Is that, that in your house or are you doing that in your office? Are you taking them oh, to the office? I take the dog to the office, but okay. everyone else is here. Yes. 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 And how many sons do you have? We have four boys. You have four boys. I love the fact yes. that you have so much pain in your childhood with women and you manage to have four boys. So, That's right. Yeah, and they're great kids. I really only know three out of four. I haven't met, right? But um, they seem amazing. They are. They are just wonderful, wonderful, caring, loving. Um, we just celebrated our baby's 18th birthday, and they just, I think they've seen um, some of my pain and really reach out to people who are, have been in need. We have a foster, two foster children that live in our neighborhood. And I remember our youngest, I could not find his new sneakers that he bought himself, these Jordans, expensive sneakers. And I said, honey, where are these shoes? Oh, I don't know. And then I remember the foster kid from up the street coming and had them on along with my son, some of his clothes. So they have amazing hearts. Yeah, the amazing hearts. And they're pretty athletic. They're like their mom. Yeah. We won't give give Jermaine your husband any credit. We'll just say they're like you, right? Completely like you. Yeah, and they're very athletic and they're smart. And they also have a lot of awareness about mental illness. They do. Yeah. They do. Yeah, they definitely have taught them. And I, I know that they make comments to you about the yoga and the <laughs> different things. Because you're also a yoga instructor. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And that's been really healing as well. And there's a lot of um, research behind that now for trauma. What type of yoga would you recommend? There's so many types I cannot keep up. 
Is there a certain form or type that you recommend for people who struggle with PTSD? Yeah, anything restorative, um, slow. I wouldn't recommend um, power as much because that's quick and can kind of reactivate that sympathetic nervous system, that fight fight or flight. But anything that could kind of slow Mm. our nervous system down, um, I think restorative can be very healing. Yeah, no, that's great. Because the goal of yoga is connection to self means Right, correct me if I'm wrong, that we get in ventral vagal, place of connection, you know, parasympathetic, and that's the restorative part. That's the healing, is that you find your own way for your body not to be the enemy, but part of what facilitates you into a place of connection. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's a beautiful thing. I'm not going to do yoga, but that's a beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) And I just learned that yoga means unity. Yes. I didn't know that. That's amazing. That's amazing. Are you practicing yoga at a certain facility or any place that people could find you? Is there someone particular so you're doing prior, that? prior to COVID, I was offering it at Breathe. I was doing um, yoga for recovery okay. practice. Um, eventually, I think if, if this continues, uh, looking at something via Zoom right. um, for, for people. But um, right now, I'm just um, doing yeah, the counseling piece. But Breathe is your private practice. Correct. And you're in Concord, North Carolina? Yes. Right. So I'm glad for people to know that, that you're there. Is there anything about your private practice that you want people to know about that's different about you? Um, I think people have described it as healing and safe and peaceful, um, I enjoy teaching clients to tools that they could take with them once they leave, such as breathing practices or various yoga poses that could be helpful and restorative. Um, uh, Sometimes uh, the clients are really open to learning about meditation and um, different coping mechanisms. So I think potentially maybe that could be a little bit different and then just my own experience with trauma and then growing up in an alcoholic home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot that you can bring together to very much offer people to help them out with it. Do you miss being at Mercy Detox? Oh, yes, I yeah, do. There's too. never a dull moment there. I really never. enjoyed my my time with Dr. Rad and yeah I still love Dr. Rad one of my favorite things to do when I worked at medical detox and those of you listening I was a patient in detox twice the first time I woke up there and realized I couldn't drink so I left and then was readmitted about a week later and haven't had a drink since that was 25 years ago and and so and then I got to work there which was amazing one of my favorite things to do is when we had a consult and you had to go to a different floor all right is that not one of the most fun nobody else would want to go Alana it was one of the most fun things <laughs> that I would get to do. You know yes. what I'm talking about. Oh, I, I just talked about it in my GWI class last Did night. You? I said that was always the best when you get a consult and the doctor has not made the patient aware that we are coming. It's like, right. hi, I'm Alana from Deepak downstairs. Right. And your doctor was concerned that you were positive for cocaine. What? I'm not been positive for cocaine. <laughs> Oh, no, what I you talking that. about? 
<laughs> I love that. Now, I, one of my favorite consults was going in on a guy who was you know, experiencing DTs, meaning like he, he could see things flying around him, like, and he was reaching for them. And so, um, like, it was a great conversation <laughs> because the doctor didn't know what to do. We get called in. And so we're supposed to talk to someone who's actively hallucinating. I'm like, just give him out of van. What, what do you want yes. me to talk about? He's reaching for flies. Yeah. You know? So anyway, I just always love that. You never knew what you were going to walk into. You never knew what was going to happen on the exactly. unit. It was so much fun. I don't miss making $12 an hour. However, the clientele, the patients, they were always just so much fun. Just amazing. I know they were in pain, but they were just amazing people. They were. Yeah. They truly were. Yeah, it's a lot to walk away from. A private practice is great, but it's a lot to walk away from. It is. It is. Yeah. So anything else about your prior experiences with addiction that you want to share before we go to our next part? Um, prior experiences as far as growing, growing up. Growing up that? and also just working in the addiction field. I'm freezing right now. I, I just, I, I love it. I just think it's so incredibly rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, I know somebody asked a couple of days ago, you know, if you could start over again, what career would you have chosen? I, I would have chosen to get into this much, much earlier. Yeah, chosen this. Yeah. And also for you to be labeled learning disabled and to have advanced degrees, you know, it's phenomenal. Um, and we're constantly learning in this. Like it is not a, you don't you don't ever arrive in this field. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I assume you have you have a love for learning. I do. I do. Yeah. I, I eventually gained that of okay. Yeah. I like this. Yeah. So maybe when you weren't being traumatized in the home, you could actually learn. I know. So that's part of why <laughs> some kids get labeled is because they actually um have PTSD and it looks ADHD. It looks like there's some type of learning disability. But it's really because it's unresolved trauma. Exactly. Yeah, I can see that. Definitely. Yeah. So I'm just so glad because I want people to know there's therapists like you in the world who are excited because not every therapist deals with trauma and everybody has a clue what to do with addiction and that it excites you and I know that you enjoy what you do. So so grateful that you're in this field. And then we've got to be friends for so long. So I'm going to put you in the therapy hot seat. Yeah. Just like back in the day when we used to do group therapy. And we put somebody in the hot seat. So your turn to be in the hot seat, okay? Love it. Just do whatever comes to mind first. All right. Okay. First word comes to mind when you hear the word sobriety. Peace. Peace. That's good. Tell me the most bizarre interpretation of your name. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I get a lot of Elena down here, down south. Elena or Elena. Elena. <laughs> that's because you're in Concord. You're in Concord, North Carolina. That's, that's what happens in Concord. That's great. The spelling on your Starbucks cups is always so entertaining. Oh, to watch. I love it. And then now that we have COVID going on, my husband makes cups with these name interpretations on them. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So along those lines, if you could give yourself a new name, what would it be? I love my name. I love my middle name too, Grace. Yes. Maybe Grace. Yeah. 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 You you are full of grace and you give a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. You're full of grace. 
I like that. What's been your biggest surprise in life? Oh, gosh. I've had so many. Hmm. That's true. You have. (laughs) My whole life has been a surprise party. From birth. (laughs) Surprise, I'm not your mom. (laughs) That's great. Oh, gosh. That if you're patient enough and trusting enough, that God just continues to show up. Maybe not on my time, right? but right. definitely um, on his time. Yeah, that's good. What's your favorite movie? Oh, goodness. I love The Elf. I love anything yeah, it's funny. Yes, perfect comedy. And yeah. Yes. Yeah. What's your favorite line from The Elf? Um, I love smiling. Smiling's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. What do you like the most about yourself? Uh, I think my ability to make people laugh Mm, and my love for laughter. Yeah, it's very genuine. Absolutely. Yeah. Most embarrassed to say, but show that you like. Oh, Oh, probably the Bachelorette. I knew it. Me too. (laughs) Me too. So here's the thing with the Bachelorette. I watch it and I'm like, how do y'all get so upset over rejection when people like Alana and me in the world who have done nothing but be rejected by primary caretakers and y'all are like in fetal position over some boy you don't know. Exactly. It, I get such a kick out of it <laughs> because I don't understand why they get so upset with rejection because you've been rejected from the get-go. <laughs> We need to be guest hosts on there. We should be. We, if we could do a little monologue, like speak over it kind of thing, like it would be, it would be so classic that um, that's one of the advantages of being rejected by my own mother, and I'm sure you experienced this too, is because it took away the power of rejection. Exactly. Like you, if you can work through that, then you're like, oh, you don't like me? Oh, that's fine. Get in line. It's fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Last question for you, my friend. From now on, when you hear flip your lid, what are you going to think about? Oh, uh, love, laughter, connection, um, sharing our stories with others. So hopefully they can continue to heal as well and know that they're not alone. That's right. Stories. That's more than one word. (laughs) No, it's great. Stories are worth telling. The stories are just worth telling and that people can learn. And no one's going to meet you and look at you and think you've had a hard life or that you've had level of rejection and death and disappointment that you've had. And so I want people to know and be able to see this and know that everyone has a story and that because of your resiliency, so many other people can be restored as well. So exactly. I thank you for being exactly thank who you, you are. If people want to get in touch with you, any certain website, anything in particular that they should check out? Sure. Um, so my website is um, Breathe. NC, like NorthCarolina.com. My number is 704-782-3050. And I do have an Instagram page, Breathe Concord. Breathe Concord. That is perfect. Alana, I love you. I love you you. too. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was was great. So (laughs) all you listening, you just heard a woman who's resilient, restorative, and you just heard someone whose lip got flipped 20,000 times and she reconnected each time a little bit more to who God says that she is. I hope you've been able to do the same today. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Please subscribe, rate, and share. 
You can find Kim on Facebook or Instagram at KB Honeycutt. To get an autographed copy of Kim's book, visit butyourmotherlovesyou.com. Remember, no matter what, treat yourself well today. <laughs>